our shield and our buckler. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you're our refuge, that, Lord, we have a place to run into and we can feel protected and we can feel safe and, Lord, we can be comforted from the enemy because, Lord, there is an enemy out to destroy us. There is an enemy that wants to rob our joy. There is an enemy that wants to steal every blessing that you have for us. There is an enemy who wants to destroy us. But, Lord, we can run into the refuge of our Lord. And Lord, you'll keep us. For we are held in the hollow of your hand. And no man can snatch us out of it. We are yours. We've been sealed. We are yours. And Lord, you claim us as your own. You claim us as your own. And for this, Lord, we give you thanks. And we give you praise. That Lord, there's nothing we can do that will cause you to disclaim us. That Lord, that we are yours. We are yours. And you are ours. And may we never forget that. That you are our God. You are the one who loves us. And will love us throughout eternity. And Lord, we thank you. May you open your word today to us. May we sense the commitment that you're calling us to. May you somehow, Lord, allow us to see the depth of this relationship. And Lord, may you remove any fear that people may have because of the relationship that we have with you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that your word brings to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, uh, last week I brought up the thing that God's not in the business of desiring to see us suffer. Um, God really does love us. And sometimes we as people, we miss exactly how much he loves us. And I want you to know that God really does love us tremendously. And sometime in life, it can be tough. It can be drooling. And sometimes life really tests us with the pains and the hurts and the sorrows. But God loves us. And you may say, well, why did he put me through this in life? And why did he allow this to happen in life? Because God is the one who's molding and shaping. And God knew which pair of scissors to use on you. You can use one set of scissors for paper, but you may have to use another set of scissors for cardboard. (laughs) But God knows what you have need of. Not just in the beginning, but all the way through the journey and towards the end. 
What I want you to look at, because we're still talking about God's wrath. And today as we go into that second verse in Revelation, in chapter 16, he speaks about that we're not appointed to that wrath in Romans 8. We're not appointed to God's condemnation. We're not appointed to his wrath. Go there with me in 2. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. The first bowl is poured out. But I want you to take note of the distinction. And then we're going to somewhat look at two words. And I think I gave you a little bit of it last week between Mark and worship. A lot of commentaries just jump right over it. Theodore F. helps explain this a little bit. Uh, he's the one who caused me to start thinking a little bit more. And then just reading some other things helps spark some certain thoughts and so forth. But in Revelation 16:2, he says, The first angel went and poured out his bowls on the land, and ugly and painful sores or boils broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. It only broke out on those who had the what? The mark of the beast and then those who were worshipping the beast. A lot of people worship but don't know what they're worshipping. A lot of people come to church because it may be their duty. They sense a sense of duty to do it. They don't really come because Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. It's just a sense of duty. Others come just because they're told, you go going to church today. Well, that's a good practice. You want to start it? Hopefully they catch it. I want to take you through three or four verses real quick. I want you to take note of something. Because one of my questions was for myself in trying to answer, who kills the saints? Is it the seals? Is it the trumpets? Is it the bowls? Who kills the saints? Because, see, we're not appointed to God's wrath. That don't mean we don't suffer. That doesn't mean we don't get the response. Now, I want you to understand something. As you're in Revelation, it's the church, the apostate church, that begins to kill the believers. Now, understand this principle. I had to think it through. For the church to be the church of the Antichrist, it has to get rid of those who really believe in who? In Jesus Christ. So we're playing church without true worshipers. And I wonder today, are we playing church or do we have really true worshipers? 
Are we just playing church or do we have people who are truly in love with Jesus Christ? In Revelation 6, 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now, who killed them? (laughs) The beast? The Antichrist? Who killed these folks? You see all these souls under the altar. I don't believe they died because of the seals or, or the trumpets or what takes place with the bowls. I think because of what God is doing to the enemy, then the enemy, only place that they can take out their vengeance on God is who? On his children. On his children. And we're his children. So the world eventually is just going to come more and more against who? Those who truly stand for Jesus Christ. And he said he saw the souls of those slain. And and this is something that, boy, if you really get into it, it's important to understand this. Satan could care less about a wishy-washy Christian. Because one day that Christian believing, next day they're not believing. One day they're struggling to walk this way, the next day they're walking this way. And that's why the Lord said a double-minded man will receive nothing of the Lord. Somewhere God's looking for a commitment. God's looking for that one that says, Lord, you're my God no matter what. Even like the three Hebrew children, even though I die in this. Lord, you're still my Lord. If you don't rescue me, you're still my Savior. You're still my God. And he says, boy, they were slain because of the word of God. They were not ashamed of it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the word of God. It is the power of God. Unto the Jew and to the Gentile. It's the power of God of salvation to both. I'm not ashamed of it. The question is, are we ready to die for it? Are we ready to really stand up for it? And and that's part of their testimony. See, that wishy-washy Christian don't stand up for the word. That religious person don't really stand up for the word. Anything will do, whether it be Buddhist, Islam, this one, it doesn't matter. It's just religion. And, and religion has been the worst enemy against God. And he says, boy, they're slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had. What? Maintained. Are you maintaining a testimony? Or is, is your light shining sometime then sometime off? Are you really radiating Jesus Christ, no matter what you're going through? Then he says, in Revelation 11, 7, he says, Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them. Well, who's he attacking? Not his own folks. He's attacking the believers of that time. He's attacking the saints of God at that time. 
And he says, well, when he comes up from the abyss, we'll attack them, overpower, and kill them. Now the question is, God, why would you allow him to overpower us? You say we're overcomers. Lord, why? Because, see, how many of you have been watching the basketball? Or the college basketball? You know, in some of those games, if they had five more minutes or even sometimes just three more minutes, they could have turned that game around. That team that lost that you were hoping that would, would win, if they just had another shot at the basket. But the clock went what? Boom! It's over. Now, ladies, some of y'all are not in sports, but most of you do cooking. If you leave it in the oven just a little bit too long, what happens to it? <laughs> it's that time, isn't it? Because, boy, it, if you leave it too long, sometimes it can get really tough. It can get really dry. Okay? And when somebody's trying to make pies sometimes, boy. Little Mark, you better be quiet. Let me talk. <laughs> and, and, and the whole process, time is up. And at this time, time is up. Time is up. So it's okay that this takes place. It's okay. Because I'm going home. That person's going home. It's okay. But the point is this. Time is up and God's allowing it to happen. Now, he says in Revelation 13, 7, he says, he will give power to make war against the who? The saints. Not against his own folks. Not against those who have the mark. But he gave Satan power to make war. Now, understand that. God's given Satan power to do this. Just like he gave power, as Mel was talking about, he gave power to Satan to afflict who? Job. And it says, boy, he gave power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So do you see why Satan can gather all the nations as we get ready to bring this thing to an end? In Armageddon, in the last part of one of the bowls where it talked about the Euphrates drying up that all the nations can cross over, God gave him power. God makes a way for Satan to even do the attacks that are going to take place. Now, I want you to see how this verse does a separation. A separating of the two words, because in Revelation 16, 2, the only word that is there is and, the mark of the beast and those who worship the image. One could say, well, one is following the other because that's what they're doing. If you receive the mark of the beast, then you're going to worship the beast or worship the image. And I want to take it a little further if I can. And like I said, boy, every commentary seems like they jump over this. 
And, and, and that can be good sometimes. It leaves freedom for thought. The ones who have the mark are the ones who are really committed. The ones who are worshiping are like a lot of Christians today. We've got a foot in both worlds. So we think that we got a foot in the world because we still want to party, we still want to do this, we still want to act like the world, we still want, we got a foot there, and then we think we got a foot over in heaven. And the only thing it demonstrates is this there's not been a full commitment either way. Now, with God, there's no gray area. Either you are born again, or you're not. (laughs) You are, or you're not. That's it. There's no half born again. Either you are, or you're not. And look what he says in 14, 11, 13. And the smoke of their torment rise forever and ever. There is no rest or or night for those who, what? Worship the beast and his image. Now he brings in the other part. Or for anyone who receives the mark. He makes a difference there. Somebody worshiping, somebody who has the mark. Stay with me in thought. Don't prejudge me too quickly. And he goes on, he says, anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patience and endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Why does it have to be patience and endurance here? When you're being persecuted, you need what? Yeah. And you need to be able to stand up under it. When you're being falsely accused and things are happening to you out of your control by those who despise you or hate you or don't want to see you achieve, you have to endure. Now understand this in in practical life. There's a lot of people sometimes don't want to see you achieve. There are people who want to see you fail in your marriages. There are people who, 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 hey, your child ain't going to be better than my child. And whatever needs to be done to bring them down, we bring them down. No, you ain't making more money than me. No, you ain't getting that position before me. But you have to be able to endure whatever it is that you're going to be going through at that time. And he says, boy, for the saints who are going to be living in that day, for those believers, those who worship the image and those who take the mark, they're going to be trying to kill those folks right here. And yet, they think they're doing God a favor, as Scripture says, because they're killing the saints who they believe don't really believe in God and worship the image or the beef. Now, what I want you to really understand is this, is the confusion that Satan brings in. 
the confusion. And that confusion is already started. We can really see the confusion in our young people because they don't know what to believe where or who to trust. And he says, on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments, there becomes the problem because they kept his word and their testimony. They were killed because of keeping his word and their testimony. They maintained it no matter what. Do you maintain your your testimony no matter what? No matter what a person is saying to you, you're not one of those who say, I can put my Christianity down for a moment and we can get it on here now. And I'll pick it back up after I dust your... You can't lay it down. And he says, boy, patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments. Can you see yourself witnessing to somebody while you're locked up like Paul and Peter was? Could you see yourself witnessing to your jailer? Could you see yourself witnessing to the person who's going to behead you? Could you see yourself witnessing to the person who has just took your home, possessed all your property, took away everything you have because you're a Christian? Now guess what? Some of that's taking place in China. Some of that's taking place in different parts of the world where Muslims really rule and you're a Christian. In the Quran it says that the Christian can pay whatever that duty fine is set upon them. If they can pay that, then the Muslim is to leave them alone. But if they cannot pay it, then the Muslim has a right to possess the property. And he and he says, boy, they obey God's command. But look at this part here. Remain faithful to who? Have you made up in your mind, no matter what goes on, you're going to remain faithful to Jesus? No matter what you lose, you're going to remain faithful to Jesus? No matter what it is. And, and this is the good part when you study 14 here. Look for follow. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. It's strange how that little part jumps in there after what you read, what comes before it. Blessed is he who dies in the Lord. They didn't give up their faith. They still stood as a Christian. They still had a testimony. Blessed is he who dies in the Lord. For his works and his deeds, they shall follow him. They shall follow him. Now, let's go back a little bit. Oh, what did I do to myself? And let's pick back up from last week a little bit. God's real pleasure is to see people saved, not suffering. Not suffering. God wants to see people come to him. Now we talked about, because we have the bowls, and the bowls have come to that place now, well, they're going to happen very quickly. And in doing so, it's a rapid thing that begins to take place. 
And God wants us to come to that place where we're willing to recognize that, yeah, God's in control. But guess who else is recognizing it? The unbeliever. And that's a little bit what I want to talk to you about. That unbeliever is caught right there. Go back to Revelation 16, 2 again. The first angel went out and poured out his bow on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. One group. And worshipped his image. The content of the bowls have an effect only on those who what? Who have the mark and those who are worshipping the beast and its image. The people who are worshipping, I don't think have made that total commitment to the image or commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus the Messiah. No, if any of you have ever read it, 1,200 and something pages, but it's good. Covers a lot of verses, different area. Bring in some different thoughts as you go through. In chapter 32 of this book, it's talking about the great crisis and popular feelings of the people of that day of Christ and so forth. And the last discourse in the synagogue. And it's talking about Christ, the bread of life, throughout this chapter. And it starts with the very beginning with Christ feeding the 5,000. Some of them saw what took place. And it was undeniable that Christ had fed 5,000 people with 12 little fishes or two loaves of bread. He has fed 5,000 people. Undeniable. That happened. He, you're there and you're one of the ones that he said, you sit here in this group and you sit here in this group and you sit over in this group. And, and they were all divided up and people are witnessing that and they're hearing that. They're seeing what takes place. You have some that begin to believe this is the Son of God. You have others that are thinking, what kind of magic trick did he just do? You have others who really gave no thought to it, per se, other than this was a good meal. Some folks come to church, and the only thing they can leave with, boy, that was a good choir, wasn't it? Forget about everything else. And sometimes they come to church and they're saying this, boy, that was a good illustration. And they remember the illustration, but not the real word of God. Others come to church and they're so busy looking at each other, they miss everything. And they go out talking about, did you see sister so-and-so? Did you see her brother so-and-so? And miss all the importance of what really takes place. I like something that this author says. He says, And so it came that the morning after the miraculous meal, 
found the vast majority of those who had been fed either in their homes, so some had went home, or on their pilgrimage way to the Passover at Jerusalem. Only comparatively few came back to seek him. Only a few. Out of 5,000, only a few came back to really seek him. Seek him for himself, not for what he has done. Him where they had eaten bread at his hand. And even to them, as the afternoon conversation shows, Jesus was a mystery. How many of you, Jesus is still a mystery? Or is he Lord? Is he really your Savior? Or is he still cloudy up here and not clear to who he is in your life? And he says, they could not, now catch this part, because this is the whole point. They could not disbelieve. Why? They had evidence right before them that something had taken place that ordinary man cannot what? Do or perform. They could not disbelieve, and yet they could not believe. They could not disbelieve, but neither could they fully commit and believe. And they sought both a sign to guide and an explanation to give them its understanding. So a lot of people are still saying, Jesus, if you show me that you're Jesus, if Jesus, if you do this, Jesus, what are they looking for? A sign. They don't disbelieve, but they fully can't what? Believe. And he says, Yet out of them was there such selection of grace that all that the Father had given would reach him, and that they who by personal act of believing, by choice, catch that, a personal act of believing, by choice, and by determination of conviction, would come should in no wise be rejected. But the fascinating thing that caught me was this. They're caught in this area of disbelief and belief. And a lot of people are caught in religion of, there's enough evidence to say that Jesus is, but I don't have enough to say I fully will commit myself, that I fully believe. And they're caught right in that middle So they come to church and they worship and they go through the motions. They go through all the things and they know the Christian jargon. But yet, when you begin to look at the depth of their life, you're saying, where's Jesus? When is Jesus going to become first? When is Jesus going to become primary? When the kingdom of God is going to become more important? Now they begin to develop their testimony. Now they begin to stand on God's word. Now they're showing forth they're not ashamed of Jesus. 
because they're willing to make the personal sacrifice of what it takes to walk with him and to grow in him. They're no longer caught in the area of unbelief and yet not fully believing. They are totally committed. And listen to what he said. By choice. By their act of believing. What is your act of believing? What is your choice that you're making? Have you really chosen Jesus Christ? Or are you kind of like going along trying to still shuffle through the evidence? The content of the bowls have an effect only on those who have the mark of the beast and worship his image. Go with me to Exodus 10. The thing that oftentimes, and a couple of you have talked to me about it, is that, boy, the thing that gets you about Revelation is that you fear it and what's going to happen. And my children may have to grow up, or my grandchildren, or my great-grandchildren, and I don't want them to be scared. I don't want them to be frightened. No, it's life is God's plan. The thing is that what you want to make sure of is that your children are grounded in Christ. So in 10.21, it starts off with, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky, so that the darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the place where they lived. How did that happen? It just said it was dark everywhere. But the people of God had what? Can God do that? Can the unbelievers see that? All they see is the darkness. But here's Israel with light. And, And the thing is, God is protecting his own people all the way through. Even during the time of tribulation, God is watching over his people and keeping his people. God's doing it. And we forget oftentimes, we are his witness. I don't care in which generation, what time, what age, whatever. We're his people and he's going to use us. And he says the bowls will not have an effect on those who believe, but only on those who are marked, have taken the mark, and who worship the image. Exodus 9. Get there. 25 and 26. He says, boy, let me get these eyes adjusted. Throughout Egypt, hell struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hell 
was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. How many of you can remember a few years back when we were hosting the carnival? And all the clouds were around us. And it was starting to rain a little bit. And we pulled in here and we asked God, because we had set up everything, that, Lord, you would not allow it to rain here. Let it rain (laughs) elsewhere. (laughs) And everybody driving in was telling us how bad it was raining everywhere else, but it wasn't raining right here. Remember that day? And God did that. We just pulled in and we asked God to hold back the rain from right here. But it was raining all around us. As people drove in, they were telling us, but yet here it was dry. Did we experience a little bit of God being able? There's things that sometimes happens that we quickly forget. But that's one of those things sometimes I go back and remember and I draw on because if God can do that, he can do... Yeah. Hey. And yet, those with the mark are seeing what is taking place. They have seen the seals. They have seen the trumpets. They have experienced. They cannot say that God's not doing something. But yet they choose still not to what? Believe. To believe. One more, Exodus 8. Verse 22 through 23. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am am in this land. I will make a distinction. And if you have underline that. I will make a what? A distinction. Then I want you to ask yourself this question. Does God make a distinction between you and the unbeliever? See, nowhere in Scripture does he call the unbeliever saint. <laughs> nowhere in Scripture does he call the unbeliever his treasure. <laughs> Nowhere in scripture does he call the unbeliever his priest. (laughs) It always referred to the believer, not the unbeliever. And he says, he will make a distinction between my people and your people. And we need to understand that Boy, if I'm saved and I'm living around a bunch of unbelievers, there should be a distinction about me. There ought to be some blessings in my house that is not in their home. There ought to be a peace in my home that's not in their home. There ought to be something totally distinctively different about my family than their family. You know. Because I'm saved. We're distinct. We're different. We got a mark. We got a seal on us. And God wants to bless us and keep us. 
And God wants us to shine as the star in dark places. And we're that light that's set on a hill that everybody can see. We are different. And the sad part about the majority of the church, they don't see themselves different. They want to look more like the world. They want to talk like the world. They want to behave like the world, live like the world. We're different if we're really born again. Look like those who have not taken the mark is oftentimes what we want to look like. We want to look like those who have not taken the mark while acting like those who have taken the mark. (laughs) We don't want to be a child of Satan. We want to be a child of the king, but we want to live like a child of Satan. There are those who are still trying to decide Whose side? Now I think those are those who are worshiping. They're still trying to make that decision. Those people who come to church every now and then, they're still trying to make that decision. Those people who haven't really got into it yet, they haven't made that decision yet. See, when you only show, to, show up for work two days out the week, you really haven't made up your mind if you want to work. It don't take the boss long to figure that out. (laughs) I learned something as a young married man. When Elaine said, time to eat, and and, and most of the time, is that the most inconvenient time? Because I'm doing something? But, I learned if I'm going to keep the cook cooking, I better come while she says it's time to eat. So I've learned when she says it's time to eat, I'll be right there. Because, see, if she cooks and I come three hours later, it shows all her effort really was what? It shows I really don't appreciate what she was And some things for God in the busyness of our lives, we have to drop them and address that which God is calling us to. There's times we just have to drop it and do that which God is calling us to do. And that's one of the areas where people can really decide if they're really saved or not. Is how quickly you drop things when God directs you to do something. When you know to do right and do it did not, the scripture says it's sin. How quickly do you drop the wrong thing to do the right thing? Go with me to Joshua. Go to Joshua. Run on over there to 24, 14 through 15. Because see, this is the decision that has to be made. And some of Israel were in this same dilemma, I think, that some of those people were who were just worshiping. 
and, and, and Joshua brings them to a point. And one of the things you see in, in Israel, even with some of the kings and so forth, the people are going to the temple, but yet they have their idols up on the hill, their altars up on the hill, and, and, and they're worshiping too. They're worshiping in the temple, but then they're making their little thing to their altar out somewhere else, and they're worshiping there. And some of us are trying to worship in two places. We're trying to worship in the world while worship also in the church. So in 24 and verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord. That's something that has to take place. Even with what God is demonstrating there in Revelations through the seals and the trumpets and the bowl, guess what? No fear of God. No respect of God. It begins when you have a sense of fear and high respect. See, there's nothing for a child to have a little fear about parents. Because they need to know parents will react. Parents would react. I knew my mom only had one hand. Well, we didn't know it at first. Because this one hand was totally crippled because the bone was out of it here. And her dad had made the decision not to have the whole hand removed, just the bone. So this hand was just always coupled. She couldn't really hold anything in it. She could only place things in it and peel a potato or do that. But she couldn't really grasp anything with it. But boy... My mom would grab a rolling pin and wear you out. She'd take this knuckle of this good hand and put it on this head, and boy, it would hurt. Have any of you ever had a knuckle in the head? He says, the fear of God. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Not half-heartedness. But when your mind's not made up, you serve God half-heartedly. You don't serve him faithfully. You don't give him all. You just give him what you want him to have. And oftentimes what you don't realize, you're acting more like Cain than Abel. You're bringing to God what you want to bring rather than what God is requiring. And he says, and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in in Egypt. Now, you mean you've been out of Egypt this long, but yet you're still tied to what? Some of them things back there, your forefathers, some of your forefathers, they're dead now. They're gone. They then went through the wilderness and died, but yet you have the memory of those gods back in Egypt. And then 15, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself. What did the man say there in the book? They made a conscious choice. When you're religious, you have not really made a real conscious choice for Jesus Christ. And it shows in the life. 
you're religious, you have enough sense to say, yeah, yeah, uh, Jesus Christ Savior, yeah, Jesus is Savior, yes, Jesus is this. You're repeating what you've heard, but it hasn't got down here. It's not something that is manifesting itself out of you. It's not something that other people are really seeing. It's not something your children are really seeing because, boy, they see so much of the other. And they need to see consistency in your walk, in your talk. And he says, boy, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, look at this conscious choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is belief in action. That is a conscious choice that I'm not ashamed to allow the world to know. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Go to Exodus 32. Back to Exodus 32 real quick. Then back we're going to run to Revelation 9. Exodus 32. 25 and 26. Let me get there. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, now, now, now you wouldn't think Moses would have to make this statement. You, even in the church, you think the statement wouldn't have to be said, uh, if any of you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, bow your head, come forward. In the church, it ought to, ought to be just what? All saved believers. Really, in the church, ought to be all believers. All unbelievers should be outside accepting the Lord, then coming into the church. But we want to bring all the unbelievers into the church, get them saved, and, 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 and I have to be careful with this one. Sick them, Pastor. Get them, Pastor. No. The salvation really supposed to take place where at? Outside the church. Then come into the church. But we have it for we have for we co-mingle. So we throw the other part in. If there's any among us who are not saved, and we've learned how to address that some. But in the beginning, the church, it was believers. They knew each other. They fellowship with each other. They broke bread with each other. And they were very, very reluctant to bring some stranger in. That's why Paul was questioned when he came in because of what his life was where? Outside 
that group of believers, that when somebody strange come in, now we're really questioning. Now just think if you were living in China and you had a small Bible group that you were meeting with in secret and then somebody strange comes in. Is he working for the government? Is he sincere? Somebody better be able to give testimony. He's really saved. (laughs) She's really saved. (laughs) Because you can't just let anybody, what, just walk in. But in our practice, we basically do that. And here's Moses saying to the Israelites, who have seen God do miraculous work in Egypt with the plagues, seen what had taken place even at the Red Sea, have seen God give them water out of rocks, have seen God send manna down, and look what Moses is saying to them. Boy. Moses saw that the people were ruling, running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. In other words, again, make a conscious what? Decision. And why would he say that to the Israelites? These are God's people. Those who are really for the Lord, come to me. Come to me. Why say that to people who are supposed to be God's people? Come to me. Come to me. Go back to Revelation 16.9. Revelation 16.9. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God. You've seen the seals, the trumpets, now experiencing the bowls. And you know that image didn't do it. You know no person really here on earth did that. But you have knowledge that a higher being is doing it, God, and you're going to curse him? I like me and my brother was watching the movie the, the night. Tarzan. I don't know y'all don't know much about Tarzan, but we were watching Tarzan, went back old school. And Tarzan got this, this enemy of Tarzan got this sword, and he brings it down, and Tarzan catches it between his hands. And the man still got the other end of the sword. And me and my brother looked at each other and said, it's time to run. <laughs> it's time to run. <laughs> if he can catch that sword with his hand and stop my moment, it's time to run. But we don't realize sometimes what we ought to do and a decision has to be made. Remember the movie Bodyguard? 
Remember when the sister was sitting out on the back porch? She's all by herself. And she's singing the song, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. But she had not made a commitment. She had it up here. She had the song. But something was missing. But in her world, she was all by herself and her loneliness and all that was taking place. And do you remember the scene that follows from there? She's with the guy, the bodyguard, and, and she's there. And what happened? The, young, the boat was blown up with the young boy on it, and she says she would have never hurt the young boy. And she confesses she hates her sister. She hates her sister. And he asked her, she asked, don't you want to know why? And he says, I already know why. She has, and you have, And sometimes people who are caught in the middle, they're right there. To them, some people have everything. They have nothing. And they can't make that full commitment. And what they really don't realize is how much God loves them. See, as Christians, we got to come to this place. Christ alone is enough. Did you hear it? Christ alone is enough. Christ alone. It's nice to have a husband. I don't need one. It's nice to have a wife. I don't need one. It's nice to have a lot of money. I don't need it. But what I cannot live without is Jesus Christ. And that's the position that the Christian has to get to. I can live without everything else but Christ himself. Let's run a little bit. We want to get through communion. Go with me to Titus 1.10. Because I want you to see something. Because... He talks about those that are marked. And uh, Christians are marked. And, And we need to understand that. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. But the word, what I want you to catch is this. There are many people who will rebel against Jesus Christ. There are many people, and catch this little saying, what it says, mere talkers. They're talkers, but they're not living it. They're mere talkers. They can talk scripture, they can talk theology, they can talk, but they're not living it. They're not living it. And what this generation needs to see is that which is genuine. That who talks it and live it. That doesn't mean you're perfect. But that they can honestly say, that person really loves the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I agree with them, but I know one thing. They're a Christian. 
They live for Jesus. If you hang around them, you're going to hear about Jesus. If you go to their house, eventually you're going to hear about Jesus. You're more than just mere talkers. You're not just talkers of religion. You're talkers of Jesus Christ. Go to John 4.22. He says to the woman at the well, just save time, you know not what you worship. There are people who worship that don't know who they are worshiping. In one sense, Paul even says that to the Bereans. Yeah, you worship all these gods up here, and you're worshiping all this. I want to talk to you about that one unknown God. Yeah, you're worshiping, but you really don't know what you're worshiping. People are looking for that which is real. Humanity has always been religious. No culture is without it. Some faith, some ritual practice of religion... Just being religious is not a saving mark of God. If you don't leave here with anything else, leave understanding this. Being religious will not save you. Being religious is not a saving mark of God. It can be, and you can be religious without the Holy Spirit. But you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13. Because this is the Christian mark. And the thing I want you to recognize is this here. That you are marked. You've been sealed. You've been sealed. Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were what? Marked. You were sealed. You're marked. How many of you really know you've been marked? And see, Satan knows not to mess with you without getting permission. You've been marked. And you need to know that. But you've been marked based on this fact. Having believed. Having truly believed. Having truly made it a commitment. You've been marked. If you're still wishy-washy about your commitment, then you're not marked. If you're not fully persuaded that Jesus Christ alone is the way to the Father. If you're not fully persuaded that Jesus alone is Savior, you're not marked. You're not marked. Oh, you can be worshiping. You can be here and you can be saying amen and you can offer some prayer. You can do all the religious rituals. But if you really haven't believed on Jesus Christ, you're not marked. You're one of the worshipers who know not what they're worshiping. 
Closing out in Romans 8 9. And we're going to go right back to that revelation, last one, Romans 8 9. Because, see, God wants you to understand if you're marked, you are not appointed unto his condemnation. You are not appointed to his wrath. Let's read that in 8 1 before we go to 9. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, no wrath of God. You're not appointed to God's wrath if you've really been marked. Oh, no problem. If I go in the beginning, great. If I go through it, it hey, if that's God's will, I know one thing. I've been marked. And none of it's going to really touch me. Now that doesn't mean there won't be those unbelievers who attack me because of my faith, because of the testimony, because of my stand for Jesus. But he says, boy, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him, with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were marked by the Holy Spirit. When you go to Ezekiel 9, 4, you'll find that God marked his people again. Revelation 7, he said to hold back until he marked his people. God has marked his people. You are marked. You are sealed. And he says in Revelation 16, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. He makes it very clear and distinct. They have the mark of who? The beast. They have the mark of the beast. Not the mark of the Holy Spirit but the mark of the beast. Not the mark of God, but the mark of the beast. He makes it very, very clear. As a Christian, we should never fear. Never fear. If we fear, we fear God. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of of an angry God. Our children, our grandchildren, we need to be sharing it with them because the reality is this. Some folks are going to go through the tribulation. I don't know who they are. But some are going to go. They may be my great-grandchildren. They may be my grandchildren's children. Because, see, as the church continues to get smaller and shrink, my prayer for America, we have one more last revival. In other parts of the world, the church is growing. But in America, the church is getting smaller 
and smaller and smaller. And I hope my children and my grandchildren, because I write in all my books, and sometimes I even put down to my grandchildren, (laughs) hoping one day they might read what I have read and catch it. Because there's so much pressure in this world today in America to deny Christ. There's so much happening that is trying to separate people in the belief of Jesus Christ. That our children will have pressure upon them from their peers, from their teachers, from government about their stands with Jesus Christ. Right now, everybody can be harassed about their religion and they can take you to court. But a Christian... (laughs) He has no recourse. (laughs) Nowhere to go. But if you talk about Islam, Hindu, you start putting down somebody else's religion, you can be a troublemaker on your job. We have to get rid of you. But if somebody talks about your Christianity and your Jesus... (laughs) That's something else. Just take a good look of where we are. And understand, we may receive the wrath of the enemy, but we will not receive, the believers of that time, will not receive the wrath of God. Amen? You're marked. Let your children know that. That they may let their children know it. And their children know it. Amen? The worst thing in Christianity is we're losing the following generation. Travis and I, we were in a seminar. And the gentleman asked, and he did this by demonstration, how many of you were raised in Christian homes? Oh man, a lot of hands went up. Raised in a Christian home. Second question. How many of your children are continuing to walk in the faith or practice the belief that you had? A fewer hands went up. And then he finally asked, how many of your children and grandchildren today are really believing in Jesus Christ and walking away? Less hands went up. At each question, it kept getting smaller. But in that older group, oh boy, everybody's hand went up. We were raised in a Christian home. But how many? And it just, yeah. And he said, as he travels and asks that question, it happens in every group, no matter how big it is. Do you see what's happening? And it's happening. See, the question is, 
Will you teach your children about Jesus Christ? Will you teach your children about Jesus Christ? Yeah. What are you going to do, Mark? You don't know. Dad got some work to do, don't he? And the thing is, will it pass from one generation to another generation to another generation? Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for that which only you can perform in our lives.